Hello and welcome to the Psychedelic Christian Podcast, the conversation at the crossroads of faith and psychedelics. I'm Clint, your host, and I'm thankful and excited that you've chosen to join us. Enjoy the show. Welcome to episode 25 of the Psychedelic Christian Podcast. If this is your first time joining us at the Psychedelic Christian Podcast, I encourage you to check out episodes one and two to get to know a little more about myself and understand the aims and intentions for this podcast. And thanks to all of you who enjoy and share the show. Please continue to do so. Also, please follow, like, subscribe, and comment on the episodes. This really helps boost the show and helps new listeners find it. Also, please feel free to connect with me via email, contact at thepsychedelicchristianpodcast.com, or find me on LinkedIn. And if you feel so called, you can visit thepsychedelicchristianpodcast.com slash support to donate to the podcast. That helps me keep the lights on here and ensures that I keep producing this content. Also, If you have a product or service that you would like to advertise here, I am potentially interested in such opportunities, so long as it is legitimate and resonates with me and my listeners. I'm not particularly interested in advertising junk food, laundry detergent, or sex toys. Most of our feeds are full enough of that garbage already. Today, I have a fascinating conversation to share with you. But before I introduce today's guest, I'd like to share some thoughts with you. Throughout my life, although I have always been and intend to ever remain firmly rooted in the Christian tradition, I have made it a point to try to investigate and understand the vast depth and breadth of the human wisdom and religious experience. As we Christians have incredible diversity under the religious umbrella of Christianity, I believe that gives us one of two options. We can either define Christianity by our own limited experiences as 20th or 21st century Baptists, Catholics, Methodists, Orthodox, Pentecostal, Lutherans, non-denominationalists, etc. Excluding and denying those of other denominations from our little club with the Almighty. Or we can find a way to include and reconcile ourselves to one another respecting and learning from our differences. I believe that we can operate in a similar fashion by seeking to respect and learn from those of other faith traditions. That doesn't make us universalist. It simply means we have the humility to admit that maybe we don't know everything and there is wisdom, tools, and practices the world over throughout history that can inform our Christian experience if we are wise and have eyes to see and ears to hear. Although I personally do not believe that all paths ultimately lead to God, I do believe that God's grace and mercy are far greater than any of us can ever imagine. I acknowledge that there is beauty, goodness, and truth to be found in the vastness of the human religious experience, and I can't with any certainty in and of myself declare to you who is in and who is out. That is ultimately between you and the Creator. With that in mind, today I welcome you into my conversation with the wise and wonderful Reverend Dr. Jessica Rochester. 
Dr. Rochester is the madrina and president of the Coup de Montreal Santo Diame Ayahuasca Church. She founded in 1997 in Montreal, Canada. She is a transpersonal counselor. She has trained in the work of Dr. Roberto Asagioli and trained with Dr. Stanislav Groff. She worked with Health Canada from the year 2000 until 2017 to achieve a Section 56 exemption to import and serve the Santo Diame Sacrament, Ayahuasca. She is an ordained interfaith minister with a doctorate in divinity. From 1986 to 2018, she has been a workshop leader, teacher, and in private practice. She is the author of Ayahuasca Awakening, a two-volume guide to self-discovery, self-mastery, and self-care. She continues to lecture on consciousness, non-ordinary states of consciousness, self-discovery, spiritual development, health and well-being, and personal transformation. Before we begin the conversation, I'd like to make a quick note about the quality of this recording. At a couple of points in this conversation, we experienced a poor connection, and small bits of the conversation were broken or garbled. I did my best to tidy this up, so if you notice that, I apologize. However, I do not think that the conversation suffered from it, and you can easily reconstruct what was missed from the context. So with that, let's welcome today's guest. Dr. Jessica Rochester, welcome to the Psychedelic Christian Podcast. Thank you for joining us. Well, it's a pleasure to be with you today and to, with all your listeners. Thank you for inviting me. Let's begin. I would like to hear a lot. Well, there's a lot to ask you today. And uh, unfortunately, we have a brief period of time. But before we get started with your story, why don't you share a little bit about your distinction between the concept of psychedelics and plant medicine? And then maybe we can go back and begin with uh, your origin story. Sure, I'd love to do that. So uh, for people listening who don't understand the distinction between what we call entheogens or sacred plants and psychedelics, uh, for those of you who want a more academic uh, approach, please go to my website, which is R-E-V-D-E-R, that's Reverend Dr. Jessica Rochester.com. And uh, you will find many videos and audios and presentations on there, which are free for educational uh, purposes. And you will find under publications, a paper called Entheogens and Psychedelics in Canada, Proposal for a New Paradigm. And this was a research project that I spearheaded and was the lead author on with, with a wonderful committee of uh, six other colleagues from different pathways, academically, scientifically, and LifeWise and uh, 20 some odd other contributors. And it was published in the Journal of Canadian, the Canadian Journal of Psychology. And we do, you know, we worked really hard on looking at what is the situation now and how can we help people in large. Now I know this paper has been picked up and we've had colleagues in Australia and England love what we've had to do and they're taking that to their government because that's what we did. We took it to our government trying to educate our government. I've been working with Health Canada for 23 years now. It's 28 years that I'm on the Santo Daime path and of which the last 23, I've been doing my, my best to really educate them. Now, 24, now it's 2024 that we're in. So entheogens, entheogens are sacred plants. Sacred plants have been used by the human race. Our species has been using plants for many reasons. 
plants are the basis of life on the planet. Okay, they are. Without plants, nothing exists. Everything that we eat ate plants first before we eat it, okay, when we're not mm -hmm. eating the plants directly. And so there are plants that have many different purposes. There are plants that are good for eating and making us strong. There's plants that are good for, you know, helping different illnesses. So plants are medicinal, okay? Now there's one group of plants and fungi that have other properties. And these properties are, they have the ability to, to expand our consciousness to help us be aware of or experience things that in most of the time in our everyday state of consciousness, we don't experience. Now, throughout the history of the human race, one, we've been using sacred plants. This is well documented. The sacred plants that I work with um, in our spiritual tradition uh, have been around, used by humans for thousands of years probably at least 10,000 years, okay? Psilocybin, the fungi, the sacred that are used sacredly and medicinally, that's across the world. You know, there's no way to document that only one particular culture would have used that. The plants that I work with are only grown in, uh, were originally only grown in the Amazon basin, and that's why they were used there. Other plants, sacred plants, have been used around the world. Now, what they create is what we call a non-ordinary state of consciousness. Now, here's the challenge in modern life is in Western civilization, we do not have a non-ordinary state of consciousness that exists in our culture. We don't, it doesn't exist in our culture. If we travel around the world, we will find other than indigenous people, the indigenous peoples of Canada, and um, they had their own rituals and ways of entering into non-story. So trance singing, trance dancing, all of these chanting, Breath sensory work, deprivation, like yeah. meditation. So you've traveled to the East and you will find all the meditation practices. You will find fasting, you will find vision quests. You will find many different ways in which the human species enters into a non-ordinary state. Why do we do it? There's something within us that calls us into wholeness. There's something inside of each one of us that has this, who am I? Why am I here? What is my life about? And something that feels like it's missing inside. Now, for many of us, we come to the realization that there's something that feels like it's missing isn't missing at all, okay? That it's just that we haven't consciously been awoken to the fact that we are one with everything. God and I are one, you and God are one, you and I are one, you and I in the tree outside are one, okay? That we haven't awoken to that understanding. And so the non-ordinary state of consciousness, no, no matter how precipitated, enables us to access that again, that oneness, that unity. So whether we achieve it through meditation or other practices, that's what it is accomplishing. Now, sacred plants. In true heritage traditions, they are only used in ritual. Nobody uses them recreationally. This would be a poll and you don't use them recreationally. These are sacred plants, okay? And so they're only used in ritual and they're used for divination, for healing, for creating community oneness, okay? And so that's the heritage tradition. Now, humans being what they are, will take, I mean, look at alcohol. It's all made out of plants. Alcohol is used sacredly in rituals. 
around the world is used sacredly in Christian practices. Jesus took the wine. That was plants. Right. <laughs> you know, plants create, you know, we can say coffee does it. Coffee creates a non-ordinary state of consciousness. It's legal. So does yeah. tobacco. tobacco. I often tell people it. that yeah. coffee and alcohol are plant medicines if, if they, used they in are. the right context. Yeah. And, and so is tobacco. You know, so we can, and but because these things are so long in our culture, by the time people started inventing laws, controlled substances acts in the early middle of the last century, it was already a few hundred years or more that these plants had been used to try and all of a sudden make, I mean, in Canada, they are controlled substances. In other words, you can't serve them to under 18, tobacco and alcohol, for example, which of course doesn't stop teenagers from using them but um recreationally or what have you you know so we can look and see that there's actually many plants that we are using very commonly some people every day that can fall gently under that category you know of plant medicine now so, so that's kind of a little overview of entheogens and how they've been used historically. So psychedelics are something else. Psychedelics are, are made pharmaceutically. I trained with Dr. Stanislav Grof and um, I am an ordained interfaith minister. I'm the madrina of a Santo Daime church um, that I brought the tradition back in 1996 and uh, I founded the first church here in Canada. Now, you know, I, I trained, I'm a transpersonal counselor. I trained in the work of Dr. Roberto Isagioli, psychosynthesis, and I trained with Dr. Stanislav Groff, who did all the pioneer work with LSD and palliative care. So I have a very good grasp of the range of potential um, with psychedelics, but I happen to, those, those of you who might be interested in reading my books will find I share my personal journey. And in 1971, I took two, uh, two times I took LSD uh, in a very safe manner and environment. And at the end of my second experience, I encountered a spiritual being who looked at me and said, you won't be doing this again. <laughs> and I took that being very seriously. And I was given what I call my 10, my personal 10 commandments. Okay, I believe we all have our own personal 10 commandments above and beyond the general for the entire population, thou shalt not kill, et cetera. Mm -hmm. and, um, but we have our own personal set because we are each individuals. And, you know, and, and there is that um, internal connection with the divine, let's call it inner wisdom, our higher self, that Christ consciousness that dwells within, okay? And, and that informs us what is right for us, which may be a little bit different from what may be right for you or right for another person. But in that moment, whatever we're going to call that, by whatever words we're comfortable, we all have it and it's up to each of us to listen to that, to follow it and to uh, trust that inner voice, you know? So, so I, I, think, I think in a Western speak. context, most of us yeah. re would refer to that as maybe our personal values. And we all acknowledge that, but we've never, I don't think most of us have probably ever thought of them in the context of our own personal commandments, but we, we kind of live by them like that, right? Well, it's your moral code. It's your personal moral standards. They're all included, but in my 10 commandments, it was bigger than that. 
I, I, I got, you know, anybody interested in my books, it's all in there. And, you know, I got instructions on how to conduct myself, what I needed to do for my own health and well-being, about being in nature and exercise and nutrition and things like that. Very individualized instructions. And, and so it wasn't just, it wasn't, it was inclusive of, but not only a moral code. Does that make mm -hmm. sense? Oh, so, absolutely. No. Yeah. So, and I believe that everybody has their own individual access to these, this kind of inner wisdom or this wisdom, this voice of wisdom. So again, psychedelics um, are a big conversation today. And, and, you know, we focused in our, in our research on risks and benefits. Sacred plants, uh, you're under the, usually you're under the guidance and the mentoring. It's an apprenticeship at the plants I work with um, in Ayahuasca, the heritage tradition, uh, before the Santo Daime, Unio de Vegetal, Barquina, the three Brazilian religions that grew out of the roots of the shamanistic Ayahuasca, known as Ayahuasqueras. Okay. The apprenticeship for Ayahuasca is 14 years. And it just so happened, synchronicity, I was 14 years under the mentorship and training of, of the elders that I was working with until our church went independent. I still would welcome their wisdom, their teachings. I still keep all those values and teachings in my heart. But it's kind of like today, everybody just thinks, you know, take something once and all of a sudden they can fly the plane. No, no, just because you've been a passenger on a plane many times does not mean you can actually fly the plane. Thank you. And so we're in a strange moment where, you know, psychedelics, I'm uh, a completely supportive of their use for research and science to be able to affirm where they are helpful, what good they can do. But if you take the non-ordinary state of consciousness, which these precipitate out of a spiritual context, what happens? Hmm. Do you have an answer for me or do you want me to grope around with that one? I, I mean, I think there, the examples of what happens is is abundant, unfortunately. I mean, we see, yes. unfortunately, a lot of people taken advantage of. A lot of people make potentially life-threatening mistakes without, yes. without a, a framing, without a, uh, for lack of a better word, a protective community to support you in this kind of work. You're kind of at the mercy of your environment. And your psyche and that kind of goes back to set and setting and that's more of something we describe in a um, secular context but in a religious context there's almost always a, a proper framing of set and setting you know in the christian church we don't offer the sacrament in a frivolous way we don't we don't just like pour it on the lawn and say you know come by this week and pick up your sacrament off the lawn and um, use it at, at your whim. You know, we have a certain structure and a, and a framing in which we in which we use these sacramental components. Uh, absolutely. So. I was I was raised in the Anglican Church. My mother was devoted until her passing. She died at the age of 102 just this past October. And when she got too frail to get out to church those last few years, Fortunately, the lovely residence that she was in, they had a minister who came in and did a kind of a little bit of a multi-faith Christian service, mm -hmm. trying to be inclusive of the Anglicans and the Uniteds and the Presbyterians and you know what I'm saying? That's um, a challenge all its own. 
that's a challenge but you know she did she did great she was a luck as often when i was visiting it would be a sunday and so of course i would accompany my mom so i was raised in the Anglican church and i tell my whole story but the thing was with me is that i was having profound dreams and spontaneous spiritual experiences that could not be explained and could not be um, contained within the teachings and sister's church or my mom's church with her and be really happy to be part of it but but spirit itself had taken me um to where spirit wanted me to be and was this as um, a young person or something you discovered later well uh, you know as an adolescent I began I began you know once I'd had it at the age of 21 uh, in 1971 I was 21 years old and um I I had had these two LSD it, my entire experience of love this being who said you won't be doing this again okay you've done this now and mm. and that's exactly what i was doing i was talking about how you know i i i one of the first things i was talking about my personal ten commandments and, and one of them was it blew me through the eastern door now you have to understand that east and west were fulfilling in their meeting you know there was this old buddhist prophecy about when the east and the west would meet then buddhism would come to the well that was the airplane when the iron bird flies okay so the iron bird flew and um and that was 500 year old prophecy or more or 2000 year old prophecy and so i went through the eastern door which i needed to do i was yanked through it spirit yanked me through it and so I was in the ashrams and with the Buddhists and the retreats, and I really, I really did a few intense years there. And then, and this was in Canada, or were you traveling? Yeah, it, mostly, yes, in Canada, there was teachers coming. Uh, there was an extraordinary, um, you know, wonderful. She was known as Quebec Guru. She long, long, long decades ago moved back to India. Probably is deceased now. But I had the good fortune that really good doors opened. I had excellent teachers who taught me how to chant, how to breathe, how to do yoga, how to sew myself, how to work with my mind, all the things I needed to learn. I'm so grateful to the Eastern teachings and the teachings of the Buddha really, really live in my heart. And yet it was clear that it was not going to be my path, that I was walking on it for a while because there's things that I needed to learn. And I'm as I said, intensely grateful to that. And then I was yanked back into a really spirit-filled Pentecostal Christian church. And I said, what am I doing back in the Christian church? You know, and what I didn't understand was that in, in that environment, I mean, a friend just said to me, you got to come visit this church. You know, you, you're going to, I think you're going to really love it. And it's like, I walked in and I, something said to me, you need to be here for a while. And so I was, I was there for I don't remember six or seven years until I said, okay, you've learned what you need to do. And what happened was I was in their in the language they used in this Pentecostal church was I was being used by spirit very quickly. My sixth chakra open. I would see like gold writing and it, I, all, everything I'd learned in my going through the Eastern door was I knew how to do my chakra meditation, open and ground myself, trust spirit and understand when that door was opening and then i realized that all these experiences that i were, ha was having were all working in my energy body and so great gratitude to the people who i spent those years with um, what i shared with them what they you know what they taught me 
and and then one day spirit said to me okay you're finished here you need to make your next step now that was very hard and i talk about that and the dreams that i had that precipitated me onto my next steps and from there it was profound traumatic initiations um, and and propelled into my transpersonal trainings my training with stan groff and and then to brazil and I, looking back on it, once I arrived in Brazil and I re-met that being that I'd met all those years before and that I'd met in visions and the being said, okay, now you're ready to remember. Wow. Can and I back up just a second? At that point sure. in your life, what were you pursuing? Education, career, family? What was going on during that time? Did you uh, have to I, like kind of separate from all the things you were currently doing? Yeah, some of the things, yes, it was it was a vision quest, but what had happened was I had married, I'd had two children, my wonderful children, now 47 and 44, and my grandchildren, I have grandchildren, and um, I had married, and, uh, and that was one of the things that took us apart, um, is we went through a divorce, which was really hard, but it was the right thing for both of us. And it was amicable, it was respectful, um, it was difficult, but it was a necessary part of both of our, the evolution of our lives. And, um, and that propelled me, I was, the door immediately opened for me to go into my transpersonal trainings. Um, and so I, as I said, I trained in the work of Dr. Roberto Asagioli, that precipitate, then there was a moment when it's okay, you're finished here, you're complete, it's your graduation. Um, then I met Stan Groff in person. He looked at me and he says, you do know I have a training. And I said, no, I read all your books. I didn't know you had a training. Yeah, I think you'll like it. So that was it. I was in Stan Groff's training, running out to California every few months. From then it was to Brazil after the uh, International um, Transpersonal Association Conference that was in Manaus, Brazil in 1996. And you know, I, I, that was my initiation after the conference. Uh, we went up the Amazon, a group of 45 of us, the first time an international group of a variety of academic uh, people and uh, different backgrounds and trainings and experiences. Um, and um, we, the, our group went up the Amazon and all, all lived in the Santo Daime community. And many of us came back from that thinking, mm -mm -mm, I had my vision and now I need to follow. I was shown that my, this lifetime, I, I was shown that before I came into this lifetime that I chose this mission to do this and that I couldn't remember it until it was time. And I, I share a lot of these stories in my books and my encounter um, in a kind of uh, out of body experience that I had with the same being, Sharamigam in which he told me, you're not gonna remember much of this and don't try and poke into it. Just follow the path and when the time is right, then you will be, it will be revealed to you. And so in the, in the jungle, in the forest in Brazil, I was shown these plants, this tradition, the plants are going home with you. Well, I mean, physically they didn't come home with me. It's a tradition. They came home inside of me, their teachings. And that the plants, the, the mission of the plants is to awaken people. There's beings, you see, this is spiritual lineage. In the same way you can look at Buddhism and say, well, Buddha and his teachers and 
the ones that followed are the in that lineage in the book of Judaism, and you see, well, there's all these elders, and you know, mm -hmm. Abraham, and, you know, go back to Moses, and you know, they're all they're all in that lineage. Well, right, every like, faith has its pedigree, you know, kind of yeah, its pedigree. You know. Okay, Santo Daimi has its pedigree. Now, the difference with the Santo Daimi is when you drink Daimi, you're you are with them, okay. You're not just thinking about them or telling a story about them. Okay, you're encountering them. They are transmitting um, teachings to you and showing you things about yourself and your life. And a lot of times that's not easy. We're not just shown pretty things. And uh, this is the thing about recreational use is people are either desperate to be healed, longing and desperate for healing, and don't realize that healing healing quote unquote um, might require going deep into your own shadow into your own difficulties and blocked grief and difficult life experiences and whatever it means to be able to explore the depths of our own soul and so it's not all pretty and lovely and rainbows and unicorns and crystals okay it's not and anybody who tries to pretend that is not does not understand initiation they don't understand vision quest. They don't understand the hero's journey, the work of Joseph Campbell. But the hero's it, journey. It doesn't take in the full breadth of the human experience. I mean, that's right. To presume that any faith or any path that you follow is just going to be a primrose path and it's just going to be gold and light and beauty all the time, that doesn't really, that's not really honest integration of the human experience. No. I mean, no. our lives are filled with ups and downs. And, and we've got to navigate those with wisdom and grace. And sometimes we don't do it very well. <laughs> and sometimes we do. <laughs> and, sometimes, and sometimes we find wise and compassionate people that join us on that path. And sometimes we don't. Sometimes it's lonely. It's a lonely path mm -hmm. sometimes. Oh, well, that's part of it. That's that's part of, you know, and again, I uh, tip my hat to the great teacher, Joseph Campbell and his work. But there's, that's a very important initiation, walking alone. And that's what I had to do, um, you know, at the end of my marriage is, you know, yes, I had two children and, you know, they became, you know, the, 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 my work and building my practice and doing everything that I was doing and trying to struggle and manage and balance all of that at the same time. But on some level, there are important initiations of walking alone when you have to hold the hand of God. You have no other choice. You have to hold the hand of God, because if you don't have that faith, if you don't have that, you know, that faith that the next step will appear in front of you. And I and I tell the story of uh, one time I was in Rio. I was in a we put together a retreat down, uh, an intensive retreat down in one of the big churches, uh, Santo Daime churches, and and so it was a three week uh, retreat that we were doing there to intense initiations. And the person, the senior person who was from that church had organized us and we were climbing a mountain. Okay, we opened a work on the bottom. And this is a very important initiation as far as he was concerned, we were calling a mountain, climbing a mountain called Pedra de Gava. And, you know, the, fir the first is a bit of a hike. It's a bit of a hike. There's two places where it's technical and you have ropes that are permanently drilled into the rock. Okay, now I'm not great with heights. <laughs> so I knew this was going to be an important initiation for me. Now, what's interesting in this story is, and everybody's faith. 
Yeah, yeah, it's a challenge for faith. And so, but what we were told is that we were going to get up to the top of the mountain, but that there was coming down, that if you didn't get to a certain point on the mountain, past the technical point, you had to stay where you were overnight because um, it was technical, it was too dangerous. So you just have to camp where you are, make do, and then come down in the morning. And so we had a tight schedule to get to the top and then to make our way down. A few people were tentative in places and slowed down the group. Other people went ahead. I had people right in front of me. I had people right behind me. I had given my second husband that had my the little knapsack, fanny pack that we had that had a bottle of water and it had, I don't remember what it had, but anyway, a flashlight. Okay, a few small things. Mm-hmm. And I'd given it to him to carry. And I, they were right behind me. There was people right in front of me and poof, everyone disappeared. And here I am. I'm not at the place yet where you can keep going on down because it's just sort of like a rough hike. I'm still at the place where you have to be careful. And if you, you know, you have to stop and wait. And I look around and I don't see anybody. I don't hear anybody. Birds, crickets, nothing. How, how is it possible that everybody disappeared? I have no idea. Where's everybody? I'm not sure which way to go. There's not really a path path to follow at that point. So I take a long, slow, deep breath, and I think I'm in a work. The daimian, the sacred plants are inside of me. I am connected. I'm going to hold the hand of God. I'm going to have some faith. And what happened was it's almost as if a twinkling little light appeared, like, you know, fireflies that come in the dust, because it was just starting to, the sun was starting to go down. And I was beginning to think, I'm going to spend night on this mountain alone with very little with me to manage okay and so I, this little twinkling light started to appear and then it's as if the path itself was glowing in front of me and i thought okay by faith by faith i'm just the mountain because i talked to the mountain because we were told that when you're on the mountain you have to talk to the mountain you have to this is very indigenous you have to talk to the mountain you have to talk to the trees they're all part of creation. The mountain knows the mountain, right? The trees know where they are. Everything knows what is so. And so we've made our prayers to honor the mountain and the trees and the plants. And we've made our prayers and respect and everything. And we've gone up and we, now we were coming down. So I asked the mountain, please show me. Please show me how to get down. Okay. And this little twinkling lights. So I'm thinking spirit and I'm thinking the guides. And I'm thinking the mountain. And then I'm going, and again, everything starts to shift. And all of a sudden, I see just not so far in front of me, two people standing, guarding where it looks like there's a path. And they say, we we were sort of shown we had to wait here and help people, because if they go left, they're going to be on the mountain all night. We have to turn right here. So they stayed to make sure that everybody got down okay, you know. So I'm so grateful. So in life, and and that's what that profound teaching was about. There will be times when you have to walk alone and you have to walk by faith. And you have to keep yourself grounded and connected. You have to pay attention where you put each step. Did Did you share that experience with others in the group? Did they have a similar, did anyone else have a similar experience? Everybody has such vastly different experiences, right. okay? You know, fortunately, every single person got down to the meeting place. Every single person did in the group. And, and just by, like, you know, that one little flashlight that we've had that fortunately I'd given to my husband, 
you know, because it was getting darker and he was he was with a group of people who were a bit more slow. So he and a couple of the other men had decided to help them get down a little bit better. And so um, uh, it, it all worked out perfectly. Yeah, but could you I spend a few moments explaining the origins of the, the Santo Dame faith? It, it's my understanding that it that it's a a convalescence of a number of traditions from possibly Africa and South America with some Catholicism. Yes. Like, can you explain like the when and the hows and maybe some of the uh, impactful figures that were involved in that in that origin? Absolutely. So, the founder of the Santo Daime is a man called Mister Uranim. He died in. Here, here comes synchronicity, 1971, the exact time I was taking, I was the almost the exact time I was taking, felt called to take these two LSD experiences and being told by a being, okay, and it's spiritually a bit more complex than that, but here you see the unfolding of synchronicities that are just extraordinary. Okay. Well, you were now, entering the flow. He was possibly exiting. He the, was fighting. Yeah. He, he, he guides. It said that Mistry and his apprentices who passed, they walk the line of the Santo Daime. That they, on the astral, they walk the line to Santo Daime. And when they see the works opening, which is like a great light that opens, okay, then they know they can send their guides and their blessings and their presence down. So uh, he was the son of and grandson, the grandson of Africans who were brought over as slaves to work in the rubber tapping industry in South America. So his parents were slaves. His, he was born free because they had found their freedom at that point, but his, grand, his grandparents had been slaves. His parents for a short period where they got their freedom. And then, so he was born free, but he had the legacy of that. So, <clears throat> he was in the Amazon, that's where he was born, and he felt called to join uh, through some close colleagues and friends to join um, uh, the tradition of Ayahuasqueros. Now He was raised in, they kind of, they call it kind of a folk Catholicism, because it's not Orthodox Catholicism. Because it's married in some of the local traditions. This is what happens when this is what happens with all traditions. There's things that Christians in here and well, I'm in Canada, but you know, in the United States where you are, that they've introduced in the last century, two centuries, that that are branches outside of the traditional or more orthodox branches of Christianity. And, and that's well, just here, here in a month or two, we'll be celebrating St. Patrick's Day. And the way that those early Irish Christians experienced Christianity is nothing like us moderns experience Christianity. You know, they were it was a bit of a marrying of their their, their pagan faiths. Yeah. With Celtic. this this new um, at that point, more of a like a Roman, you know, uh, infusion of the christian experience yes it was it was a roman infusion the whole if you read i was born in england so i'm, I'm british and so that that history is 
you know, that little island was overrun so many times. We can talk about, um, you know, invasions and colonialization and all of that jazz, but you can't, you know, somebody try and find a piece of history that doesn't have that. I mean, Britain, what we know as modern Britain was overrun by the Vikings, the Normans, the Saxons, uh, you know, the indigenous people that were there, the Romans, the French, I mean, the Spanish, I mean, we could go on and on. Um, how many times that island was invaded and traces of whatever they left, whether it's the Roman roads or um, the Anglo-Saxon, what became English, was an influence of all of these uh, invading, colonizing people. And so this is what humans have done, the diaspora, since we first came out of Africa. This is what people have been doing in this diaspora. As they wander, they wander, and they come. And if they were a stronger tribe, then they, they either join with or overcome the people who have what they want. I mean, this is just human. We can't pretty this up. I'm sorry, the right, Old Testament right. is full of it, okay? It's full of it, and it's still happening today while we speak. This is So his experience was probably, he was probably, uh, I guess, reared up Africa. in a, in so a faith that was it. African, tribal, so and then they, he, but he was nested in this South American yes. culture that was at least partially was impacted by Catholicism. Yes. And, and then you so, had the own indigenous religion there of the Iowascaros. Yes. yes. And so here's where you see the Amazonic shamanic roots. You see the some of the African roots that just echoed through. Okay. And this is what humans do. And, and, and then, you know, this kind of, they call it folk Catholicism because it's not, as I said, orthodox. It got adapted and different things came into it and it changed a little bit. Yes, of course, there is Orthodox um, Catholicism in Brazil, but it, in, the, in the more rural areas, it happened to take the flavors of what was already in the culture. And so it was this, um, Mr. Renéo made his initiations, I think he was six or seven years uh, with the Ashkenenka tribe training as ayahuascara until one day the plants themselves said you have to go in the forest for a week only take water manioc and the sacrament and you have to drink every day and this is a common initiation that the elders approved and they kept their eye they knew exactly where he was in the forest and keep their eye on and keep their ear out and and they know that this walking alone vision quest is an important part of 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 that ayahuascara tradition as is it is in many, many indigenous traditions. You have to go on your vision quest. You have to go and do your hunt. You have to. This is lost in our modern um, culture and, and it gets distorted into other things. So that energy, that need for vision quest that adolescents have, they don't have the vision quest. They don't have the rights of initiations. They don't have it. So we have sex, drug and rock and roll. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> it, really st it really stunts our spiritual growth. Like it, it, it kind of handicaps us. And and we need. There's a part of us that needs these human rites and rituals. We need them, and they've shrunk down to things like bar mitzvah, where there's a big party and people pin envelopes with money on you, and there's lots of food. Okay, and there's a little bit of prayers or something. Well, that's not the original thing that happened. Okay. These, it's these much are, more of a token. It's like a token of the original yes. experience. 
tokens of the original at the same way the confirmation and that I was confirmed in the Anglican Church. And there's no visual quest in that. There's a white dress in your first communion. And that's it. Thank you very much, you know. Anyway, so he goes for his week in the in the forest, and it's intense, of course it is, and he has to, like the Buddha and every other teacher, he has to face himself and his own fears and everything, and at the end of experience, it's a full moon, and in the full moon, he sees a vision of the Divine Feminine, and the Divine Feminine speaks to him, and she gives him instructions to begin this, this, this tradition. And so he kind of, of course, this, we all do questions, why me? <laughs> and I don't think I can do that. And all of these vulnerabilities and fears that we all have, you know. And so in the end, uh, you know, and he, she starts to give him hymns and he says, I, I can't sing. And she says, open your mouth. <laughs> open your mouth, you will sing. And so we have to overcome all of our fears and our limitations and our vulnerabilities. And so that's how the Santo Daimi started, and he began to receive his hymns, and his hymn book of 128 hymns, and, and, um, and that's kind of the foundation, the principles and the teachings. We don't have a um, Bible equivalent, we have our hymns, and these were all oral, the Santo Daimi was an oral tradition. And then, of course, as it expanded beyond that area in the Amazon and became into urban centers, moved throughout Brazil. Those were the two waves. And then the third wave was the, what I was involved in, where it really went internationally. Mm -hmm. And so I was part of that international wave, that third wave of the Santo Daimi finding its way um, into where the plants want to go. And, um, you know, part of the problem is, is because the plants themselves are heritage plants, they are protected. There is no problem with the plants, but because of various and sundry controlled substances acts, um, what is contained these minute amounts of harmful oil and, um, you know, from the two plants, you have dimethyltryptamine from the leaf and you have Harmaline, harmalol from the from the vine, and they are on our controlled substances act. And so, even though they're trace amounts, I mean, right now, you know, you and I both have dimethyltryptamine in our bodies. Our pineal gland releases it. It's what As Terrence helps. McKenna says. We're all carrying. You know, we're, we all yes. we all have. Uh, <laughs> we're, That's right. We're all, we are. We're all, we're all guilty of possession. Yeah, brain. and so this is why our brains recognize it. Our brains, our, our body and our brains automatically recognize the sacred plants. And, you know, if you look at the, um, uh, was it Rick Strassman? I don't remember who it was. And now he does, it, the, puts a chart up of, you know, uh, serotonin and, our, you know, our brain and, and, and mm -hmm. its neurotransmitters. If you look at serotonin and if you look at psilocybin and if you look at dimethyltryptamine as it is naturally in the plants, they're almost identical. Mm -hmm. And so we can see, you know, a lot of the questions are is did what role did, did sacred plants play in the development of human consciousness? Yeah, you it's can't so answer that question. It's it's so oh. united, so yoked from from our origins that we can't really define no, we can't how, we how? Just have to say it is there. Mm -hmm. It is part of it. It is part of our story of being human. And so, you know, that's the distinction between, you know, entheogen, sacred plants and psychedelics. And psychedelics certainly have 
promising results in research. And in Canada now, we have um, exemptions for people to be able to use for research for palliative care and exemptions for people who have post-traumatic stress disorder, severe depression. So doors are opening because of scientific research and studies, because there is no historical evidence of them. We can't say the way we can with our plants or psilocybin or some of the other secret plants. We can't say, well, it's been used for thousands of years. Okay. And any health and safety issues, the elders who apprentice you are very well aware of them. Well, we can't say that with the psychedelics. They've been around, what, less than 100 years and or about 100 years, maybe. There's a lot of research with some of them. But again, it's set and setting. And what we are seeing right now, and I want to do, a, you know, a call it to uh, Jules Evans and um, David Luke, who are, are, you know, frontiering the area of really looking at, at difficult passages, people who have difficulty after using um, substances and psychedelics. I'm talking about not sacred plants, but they have difficulty afterwards and they have difficult experiences and they don't know how to integrate them. And, and because it's all been removed from, we can't just put people in a non-ordinary state of consciousness without context, without ritual, without supervision, without eldering, mentoring. And then, um, you know, in the paper we published, we talk about education and credentialing and ethics you need a whole different ethics code for people in non-ordinary states of consciousness. And so this is a very large conversation, a very large conversation. And the more we talk about it and the um, more seriously we take the issues, then um, we have the best possible outcome for any use of psychedelics and yeah, uh, you know many of us many of us look i know there's some people who think that sacred plants should be that anybody should be able to use them and everybody should be able to use them anywhere anytime that they want and there's many of us who say that's a problem that's a problem yeah i, I don't want our governmental entities to make those decisions for us i really would like us as <laughs> as individuals and as groups of individuals to kind of, I guess, just encourage that and, and encourage people not to, not to view these things as just, you know, a fun Saturday, like take more intention with this. This is, there's, there's a lot yeah, more here. That, to, that to, raises the interesting question is who does the educating so I'm an I'm advisor and guest lecturer for University of Ottawa's program on entheogens and psychedelics, and um, and Vancouver Island University, uh, the two universities that have programs, training programs, master level, uh, graduate level programs for um, psychedelic training for therapy. Okay, to be able to facilitate, assist in research or in programs that are permitting it. And so there are universities that are taking this very seriously and uh, are bringing in education programs to try and educate because that's how our culture is set up and our society is set up now is all academic education. Where are the elders? Where are the mentors? Our society is not designed like that. We don't have, uh, and this is a whole other conversation is what do we, you know, 
our, our, our culture does not develop respect of elders. It does not, you know, our culture just went way off course somewhere. So most of most of the people who are older, who in other cultures and situations would be the people holding the stories, the storytellers, the wisdom holders, the, you know, the elders who who hold the, the tribe or the clan's um, wisdom, collective ancestral wisdom. It doesn't exist. Mm -hmm. It's all gone out the window. People are obsessed with, you know, what you own, what you do and what you have. And beca you because of prohibition, most our most wise and uh, articulate and most heartfelt intentional people have steered themselves away from any of these medicines because they didn't want to be caught up in anything dangerous or illegal. So it's almost like we excluded some of our most influential people from ever getting involved because they don't want to get caught up in things that are illegal or dangerous. And so we've, it, it's been, exactly right. it's been underground and it's been left to, you know, Joe shaman to uh, show us the way. And so that that's just right with all kinds of, dangerous you know opportunities so so um, i just uh, added to my website um uh, a few months ago i was doing a podcast and and talking kind of about this and i believe it was susan gunner and she asked me um because it's something that i speak to about apprenticeship and the need for elders and mentoring and and apprenticeship and education and credentialing and whatever language we're using academic or heritage traditional language Okay, it's all the same thing, more or less, they meet. Right? And so I was lamenting that, you know, these days, uh, it's, it's, you know, first of all, there's what's called ayahuasca tourism, okay, and we can say sacred plant tourism, it's not just ayahuasca, it's psilocybin, and what happened with Maria Sabina, and and, um, you know, their culture, and how it's just overrun the sacred the fields where the um, and, and areas are just being overrun by kind of new agers who think that they have some right to take whatever they want with no respect to the plants, no respect to the wisdom keepers who've been guarding and and um, and managing these plants all these years. But, you know, there's this yeah, for centuries, for centuries, uh, for centuries, if not millennia, and who've, who have the attitude. This is an attitude in our culture that we have to address, which is I'm entitled to do what I want. If I want to do something, I have a right to do it. And I don't need anybody telling me what to do. And I already know what I need and I have my own direct connection. Well, there's grains of truth in some of that, right. okay? But it's so distorted by spiritual narcissism or just plain old narcissism, okay? That I'm in me, my bubble of me and whatever I want is important and the most important and everyone has to accept that this is my truth and what have you. Well, this doesn't exist in the in, in healthy situations in community. In community, we operate by listening to people, respecting people, and yet allow, you know, usually when you have elders, they correct people when they have these arrogant misunderstandings. They get corrected. Okay, but we don't have that because we don't have elders and we don't have mentors. And why don't we have that? Because our culture has made being old a terrible, awful thing that yeah. you have to avoid at all cost. Okay, and who are our role models? Our role models are not, you know, people like uh, elders, you know, 
They it's, are it's whoever the hot new 25 year old star is, you know, exactly. And it's so it's what kind not, of culture does that produce when we idolize for looking the irresponsible it. and unprepared to face the world? We've exactly. totally inverted our respect hierarchy and it's, it's showing up like potently in, in how yes. selfish and childish our society is has become and is and is is heading to just more of the same we are a we have become western civilization has become a culture of narcissism entitlement demand expectations and arrogance and laziness i'm sorry <laughs> post second world war i was raised with with that strong protestant work ethic right. Okay. Well, you work and you do your part and you help your neighbor and you do charity and you raise your children and you do your best and you educate yourself as much as you can. And at the end of the day, you thank the universe for all the good things you've received. And that's how I was raised. And that's a good way. I, yeah. I still believe in that. Okay. And I practice that. And I look around and it's like everybody stays at home and collects, collected, serve and I appreciate I appreciate you Order speaking home. openly about that because yeah. we're it, it's not a popular opinion to uh you know to to oh. to voice these days it's not welcome no, you know it's, not, it's it's not welcome and 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 it is it's a great sadness because it's it's everybody's living in illusion illusion and what I say to people is who are living in this kind of bubble where I'm entitled and everyone should give me and I want and all that jazz and disdaining older people so now you have all these older women and all they're doing is like plastic surgery and wearing clothes that are appropriate for a 30 year old instead of embracing being a wise woman and embracing being having having or a wise man and embracing you know age as something that brings wisdom and experience mm. and life stories but if we've lived a shallow life we have nothing to teach and nothing to offer so you can't live a shallow life and expect to have things to teach the next generation mm. we have we to almost have... don't have any elders because for two we generations all of our yeah. older people have been trying to be young people that's right that's what and I'm they saying. never matured like no one matured past like 30. And so we have yeah. a bunch of 70 year olds who are like trapped in a 30 year old mindset. And yeah, just... I that that's what they have, either that's what they have to be to have the respect or acceptance of the younger generations, because the younger generations, somehow we got caught in this social mindset and this cultural mindset. And so in part, that is what the sacred plants are trying to do. It's, it's, um, I mean, they told me very clearly when I was bringing this tradition back to Canada, they said the plants themselves, the message of the plants are wake up, wake up, take care of yourself in a way that is appropriate, take care of nature, take care of nature in a way that's appropriate, get out of this bubble, okay? Slow down. Slow down, love your life, honor your life honor what you've been given, have gratitude for the good things, and now serve. Serve the light, be a light, shine the light. Do what you can within your sphere of doing, within our sphere. We can't go and stop the war. There's 34 
wars currently, Google it. There aren't just two wars on the planet. There's 34 wars on the planet. So that's just, this is the story of the human species, though. This isn't something just today. This goes on. We've, we've recorded history. It doesn't matter. Anybody's recorded. The Egyptians, that go as far back as you want, okay? It's, it's the human history is war and struggle and strife and, um, and greed and arrogance and this longing for power. Now, how, how do those of us who don't want to walk that path, how do we follow a path of, in, in, there's four basic principles in Santa Daimi, love, harmony, truth, and justice. Those are the four pillars on which the, the doctrine, what's called the doctrine is based. And um, we've, we've kind of discussed how this Christianity and, you know, with some Amazonic shamanic roots, with some twinkling African beliefs sprinkled in, and then also part of it, European mysticism, some of that crept in in a few places. And, and it's, it's, it's very simple because when you're in a non-ordinary state of consciousness, when you are in, you know, this expanded state of consciousness, you see the oneness of all things. You see the beauty. You see the difficulty and the struggle, you know. it's but Not you know, only do you see it, you can't even deny it. Like, you can't so, deny it anymore. It's so overwhelms you, yeah. You know, the Santo Daimi is a Christian path, but it is a syncretic Christian path. Because as they said, you know, mastery one day in a work, he met the Buddha in the astral. Well, you can't deny, once you've sat with the Buddha in the astral, you can't deny the teachings of the Buddha, you know. And so there's this this um, kind of unified, um, this, you know, uh, the name of our church, uh, we're Santo Demi Church, and it's Soda Montreal is kind of the name, which means sky or heaven of Montreal. And, and the our real name is Eclectic Center for the Universal Flowing Light. And um, this is a standard description of a Santo Daniel Church, Eclectic Center for the Universal Flowing Light. And that is at the core of the Santo Daimi is for each of us to understand our place and who we are, why we're here, what life is about, and how we can become a channel for the divine light. And what ethical and moral principles guide that and um you know uh, when jesus said you know love your brother he did not i i can't understand anywhere where he said only love these brothers and sisters those brothers and sisters are okay to hate i, I don't find any there anywhere in his teachings yeah, okay? just the ones who assent to your psychological frame of reference only those people <laughs> no he didn't say that anywhere nowhere <laughs> nowhere. Jesus, for me, was a consciousness teacher. A consciousness teacher. Now, I think we can all agree in the history of Christ Christianity that many things happened. And for a long period of time, uh, I'm a student. Uh, uh, you know, I have a doctorate in divinity. So, uh, and but decades and decades before, from a very young age, trying to understand my own experiences, I was digging through the Bible, the Old Testament, Aldous Huxley, anybody I could get my hands on that would help me understand what I was experiencing. <clears throat> so when I could read about the old prophets and they would encounter one of the archangels, one of the angels, one of the you know, messengers of the, of the divine light, that they would fall down as if they were dead. We understand that. 
those of us who drink kindly, we understand that. These encounters are so powerful. These encounters bring so much wisdom and teachings, and some of those teachings can be really strict. And they can say, a good teacher isn't just, oh, sweetheart, you did so well. You know, we, couldn't, we shouldn't expect spirit to, to treat us like we're kindergarten children or nursery school, three and five years old. And yet that's how we selfishly want to treat it. Mommy and daddy in the sky, because we believe in, in here, here we have some differences, is we believe that God is not male. Okay, um, that there is definitely the divine father, but as Joseph Campbell said, the only problem with Jehovah was he thought he was God instead of being that male God figure. Okay, because if you study how religions develop and everyone listen, you know, please, Karen Armstrong's A History of God is essential reading in which she takes the three patriarchal religions, Christianity, Judaism being the first and um, Christianity, which grew out of Judaism and Islam. And she describes the cultural influences and the social mores and experiences at the time which shaped their ideas of God and how their rituals changed based on these patriarchal male God ideas. If you look through the uh, writings of the Nakamari scholars, and this game is a whole other conversation, that I was, you know, um, an understudy to this and, um, and love what has been found and what has been written. And these are true experiences. These are not made up, you know. What did Jesus say originally? Did he say, our Father who art in heaven? Um, nope. Oh, cosmic birther of all radiance. Now, I love our Father who art in heaven. It's a prayer we say. It's one of the prayers we say opening and closing our works. Beautiful, powerful prayer. But when I'm praying that prayer, I'm, I'm praying to the Divine Father. That doesn't discount or eliminate the Divine Feminine, right. which has equal status in the Santo Daimon. Well, unfortunately, we're so, we're so um, caught up in our humanness yes. that we're... We, Male, maleness and femaleness are a human earthly thing. Those aren't. No, I don't think so. <laughs> no, no, wait. I, I mischaracterized that. So our biology is yeah, a oh, earthly biology. Thing. So yes. male and female are transcendent cosmic archetypes. And they're yes. beautiful. They're both equally beautiful. Yes. But because that our father, what we what we what we've messed up. And we've put the cart before the horse. We've assumed because God is Father, He's also male. That doesn't no yes, maleness. Yes. It, it's all it's all language, poor translations, cultural settings in which the teacher arrived and was teaching. We have to remember, you know, Jesus was a Jewish rabbi. Okay, mm. he was at the temple from a young child. He was a rabbi. He, yes, I'm sorry. He was probably married, probably had children. Sorry, but he was. And I'm Christian, okay? Because that would have been normal then. We can't say he was, but we equally can't say he wasn't. Okay, because we don't know. We have to, each person must believe what they feel in their heart is right for them. And for, for us in the Santo Daimi, we don't solicit and we don't proselytize. We don't ever, people have to come and knock at the door. 
They have to apply to be a visitor. They have to go through screening interviews and fill out forms and come to him practices and all, have a special information session and things like that. That's just to be a visitor. Okay. And, then we and have right or wrong, you know, the, the church used to be that way as well at one point. Yes. You, it, it, you couldn't just barge in in your flip flops and say, hey, I'm here. I'm going to teach today because I got a word from. I got no, a bump, no, I got a bump, no, I got to drink too much coffee, so it's my turn to preach or whatever. <laughs> no, 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 no. This would never happen because they had eldering, mentoring, and apprenticeship. You started as a child the same way you started in Hinduism and Buddhism and Judaism. You would start as a child learning the scriptures, sitting at the feet of the elders. This is how it is in indigenous traditions. It's how it was in all the great traditions when they first started okay when they very first started you know and so you know it, it's we have to look at where did jesus get that those ideas from and how did the holy spirit come, turn from the shekinah glory which was in the old testament in the true um teachings of judaism the, there's the the males entity spirit manifestations okay of male energy, which was action. And then you have what was called the Shekinah glory, which was the divine feminine force, which was all of creation, out of which action would, could only move through the divine feminine force. Now, this is how they interpreted, this is how they believed it. I'm not saying this is true or fact, or that I believe it or what have you. Each person, I'm just saying this is what they believed, okay? Mm -hmm. And so how did that get converted into a male Holy Spirit? As kind of single entity being, well, all you have to do is read the history to find out how that happened, okay? And so, and so if we look at the history and read the documents and the stories that are, you know, that are actually, this is like taking my hymn book and putting it in a time capsule for 2,000 years, and then 2,000 years from now, somebody finds this time capsule and finds my hymn book and says, oh, 2,000 years ago, this is what this woman was receiving, Okay. And, and how has that changed in the 2000 years since she started her, you know, opened her little church mm -hmm. and spread the Santo Dani or allowed it to spread, supported it to, to spread through Canada. I mean, about 13 or more groups, study groups and points in churches have grown out of the work of Soda Montreal. So um, this is the calling, this is the mission. And we don't solicit and we don't proselytize. And it is a mystery school. And, and the curious are have to understand that it's okay if you're curious, but this is not some burning man thing. We're a very dedicated and serious spiritual tradition. It's, it's more akin in our modern life to, and I don't want to diminish it in any way, it's more akin to a what we think of as like an educational pursuit. You know, a person will spend, a person will spend years in a path of study and and uh you know reading the works of of elders and those who came before we understand that i think in modern society when it comes to education you know you don't you don't get an epiphany and decide you're an electrician or a doctor or a or a, a, a mathematician like you have to go you have to do the work right and yeah you have to do the work you may for feel some reason we think religion we can just like make it up as we go and not have to uh, learn from anyone yes and and that is the spiritual narcissism 
Um, I just posted for anybody listening, interested, and certainly for you, I just posted, um, I, I'm more active, those of you who may be seeking me on LinkedIn or through my website. And I'm, I, I'm really not active in, you know, don't try to, try to Instagram or Twitter me or anything like that or Facebook me because although I might have maybe a presence certainly on Facebook, but it's only there for a specific reason and I regularly post that, you know, I'm not, I'm, I don't knock on that door, you know. And so here's the thing is, is I, I did a couple of, out, they, I started to talk about Susan Gunner and how she had asked me a question like, why are people calling themselves healers and shamans and so we went down that road and i ended up making three different posts on linkedin which i was stunned i've never had a post get six thousand and ten thousand questions okay and reposts i i've never had a post well you hit, you hit a nerve with a lot of people I hit so. a nerve don't call yourself a healer don't call yourself a shaman okay and, uh, and uh, I, just, I just kind of stayed out of that i just watched it read it i didn't i was like i'm not getting involved yeah. here yeah so, yeah, anyway, so what I did was because I referred to it at a lecture I was giving um, at one of the universities last week. And, and so I referred to, you know, this this issue of please don't call yourself a healer and a shaman. There's really good reasons why you shouldn't self-anoint, self-appoint, okay? And so we had a little conversation on that. And then I was, um, I was asked, could I please you know, kind of publish that article. So anybody looking, there's an article on my publications page, please do not call yourself a healer. And why shouldn't you? And all the reasons are there. And why, what is, what is this with people calling themselves shamans? They, they go down for a week, a month, six months somewhere, and they come back, I'm a shaman. This is unheard of in either calling yourself a healer or a shaman. It's unheard of, you know, in, in heritage traditions for anyone to honor you with a title, you have to earn it, okay? People who go to, to university and they get their medical degree or their accounting degree or their dentist degree, you know, or they go to technical college and they get their, you know, whatever it is, they get their certificate and something. Okay, well, they've worked. They've written exams, they've done their apprenticeship. It doesn't matter whether they're a plumber or an electrician or a dentist, they've worked, they've studied, they've apprenticed and they get their certificate that now says you can go out and you can hang up your, your shingle as an engineer, as a plumber, as a dentist, okay? And, and yet, why do people think it's okay to play with other people's psyches and spiritual life with absolutely no apprenticeship or training? This is a moral, an ethical insult. It's an affront to other people's, I'm the healer. No, I don't believe that for a second. The healer lies within. And any, any skilled facilitator, therapist, guide, any medical doctor knows this, that all they're doing is creating the space, the opportunity, and the setting for healing to happen, whether it's physical healing or emotional healing. I had for 40 years of private practice, and I can tell you, all I did was take tools and skills that I had learned bowing to my teachers and, and create the space for people to do their own healing. Because you have, to do, you have to do the work yourself. And that's at the core of the problem in our society. People want some magic wand to lose the weight or do the exercise or it doesn't, doesn't happen like that. They want a pill that's going to magically do all the work for them. And I, I'm sorry to say that 
that's not a reality is we have to <laughs> and we have to get on the treadmill and do it ourselves yeah i appreciate you carrying that torch because it's all too appealing to the modern western mind that i can just take a psychedelic and i'll just in, in six hours i'll just deal with all my trauma and i'll come out the other end like some kind of guru and the truth is that's usually just the beginning of you yes. starting to understand the inside of yourself. And at that point, instead of, instead of get, having hubris and instead of having this concept that you're going to heal the world, that should be just the starting point of your own healing and your own beginning to understand yourself and this beautiful universe, God, whatever we want to call it. Absolutely. And I'm glad you've put it like that, that people have these expectations that taking once, twice, three times is going to heal everything that ails them and, and resolve all their issues. And this is just not true. Um, it's just not true. We may have profound teachings and insights. You know, I shared earlier up in the program um, about me receiving from this being my personal Ten Commandments. Well, I still had to do them. <laughs> There's nothing magical about that. I had the experience and I and the vision and, and the teachings. I have to take them in, but I actually have to do them. Nobody else does them for me. And just having those, the gift and the grace of those teachings, I then have to work hard to make sure they manifest in my life. And like anything, you know, you can't do a magic diet and then go back to your old ways. Right. I mean, these are easy examples to use. You can't go to the gym for one month. Ta-da, that's it. Now I don't have to go to the gym for the rest of my life. Uh, sorry, no, you have to go to the gym every week. <laughs> okay. Which everyone knows that's so silly. But when it comes to like our spiritual life, for some reason, we think we can be on the fast track and a once and done and dust our hands and... Now we're fixed. Yeah, I had my experience and I know, nah, nah, and it's like, mm, okay, okay, believe what you want. Believe what you want. But the reality is going to be very different. The reality is there is no, uh, you know, I'm going to quote Jack Cornfield, the great American Buddhist teacher there is no enlightenment, there's only enlightened activity. And, and I believe that an experience with sacred medicines, AKA, or psychedelics, however people prefer to phrase it or categorize it. I think they, are, experience, they are two different things. They yeah. are two different things. And But the same substance can be either in some cases, right? Like, so a, a person can use mushrooms as a psychedelic or they can use them as a sacred medicine. Well, yes, the same way you can use tobacco. And the, right, right. See, some plants that I, I have to say that um, I don't think that the plants and the fungi like to be misused. I agree. I think the closer they are to their original form that I, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll briefly share the following um, from time to time on a pretty regular basis, people who have come into our church, and then uh, stay, we have visitors, new visitors, then we have regular visitors, and we have associate members, and then we have uniform members. So there's apprenticeship stages. And often, you know, new visitors, we never see them again once or twice, and it's too much for them, it's too big, it's 
you know, I had we had one woman who said, I think if I come once every 10 years, it'll take me 10 years in between to integrate what I get in one session. Okay, that's the step. That's the stage you need to work at. That's fine. I can respect someone who who recognizes the potency. Yes, yeah. yes, yes. If, if that's what it is fitting you, then that's fine. But on a pretty regular basis, uh, people will come to me at whatever level they are. And, and the really honest, sincere people will say, the Daimi showed me I have to make a full commitment or I have to leave. Okay, it's not me telling people that. It's not the senior people in our church telling people that. It's the Daimi tells people. So this has to come from within. And then each person has to choose. This is not uh, Santo Daimi Taliban. We shoot you if you want to leave, okay? It's not that. It's not that at all. It's you have to feel called. The plants have to talk to you. The beings, the great beings, the guardians of the light who work, who are the beings who work in that line, who guard that line and protect that line, they, you will make a relationship with them. They will know you personally. And then it's a personal relationship with them, with the daimi, with the guardians of the light. We're just your local church. Mm. Nobody owns you. Oh, Dr. Jessica, I and see that I'm nearing time. I want to be respectful yes. of the time commitments that we've agreed to. Although yes. I'd love to keep you here for a couple more hours if I could strong arm you from a well, distance. Well, down the line, maybe we'll do a part two. Right. I think that's a great idea. Well, before but before we part, please share with the listeners any parting words you'd like to share. And in particular, your book, I haven't read it. Amazon tells me that it is currently traveling in the back of a truck somewhere on its way here. And so uh -huh. I'm eager to I'm eager to read volume one as it arrives, and I will probably be sharing that with my listeners and such what 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 I've appreciated about it. But in the meantime, yeah, tell us uh, just a, briefly about your books and maybe any websites or and I know you, and I appreciate you mentioning LinkedIn. Like you, mm -hmm. I'm present on some of those other platforms, but I'm finding so much more intentional thoughtful, respectful conversation on LinkedIn. And I'm not finding yes. that elsewhere. I'm finding a lot of bickering and judgment elsewhere. Yes. But on LinkedIn, I, I, I find a lot more positive community. So I'm glad you brought that up. So briefly, mm -hmm. tell us about your books and tell us where people can find you and communicate with you. Okay. Well, uh, certainly my website is the best way. Um, it's uh, Reverend Dr. Jessica Rochester, if you Google that, and it's R-E-V-D-R, Jessica Rochester.com. And on my website, you will find uh, publications, videos, uh, hymns, prayers, um, all kinds of things. Uh, all of it is available um, free for uh, educational purposes, except for my books, which you can order through Amazon or through the publisher, Freezing Press. And um, I wrote the books because spirit told me to. Uh, I'd always knew that I was going to write books. I was shown, I would write at least two. Now spirit's saying, okay, it's time for the third. I thought this book would be one book, but the publisher said to me, mm, 600 pages. And so I took everything that I'd learned. I was always making notes in books that I loved and making notes and, and short papers and things like that. And I was shown that I had to put it all together. 
Now, we were anticipating receiving, we'd received an exemption in principle in 2006, and we thought by 2011 or so, 2010, 2011, that we should have been receiving our um, the issuing of our Section 56 exemption. Um, but here's what happened. I was sort of shown, put your books on one side. Then it was, I thought it was one book, put your book on one side, even though I'd written it even though I'd had a professional editor, Chapeau and Dylan, who guided me through the organizing of it because I had all these stories and she insisted and pressed me to tell more personal stories. No, 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 she'd, she'd write to me. You have to, you can't just say that two sentences. You have to tell the whole story. That's what's gonna thread everything together. So in the book are all the maps of the collective unconscious. Everything, I go from Freud through Young, Gassagioli, Stan Groff. The introduction is written by Dr. Paul Groff, uh, the brother of Dr. Stan Groff, um, a dear friend of mine for decades and decades who I co-lecture with um, the University of Ottawa and in Ottawa. And um, he was part of our committee for, the, for uh, many things that we've done together. And so he wrote the introduction. He himself is a world-renowned psychiatrist in his own field. Uh, Stan Groff wrote the first uh, review, advanced review. Larry Dossie's written review, review. Stephen Larson has written. All the reviews are also on my website. So it, the the books, the two books are uh, Ayahuasca Awakening, although it's certainly not about ayahuasca, but that's sort of what my publisher leaned me to put that in the title mm -hmm. to because of how much it's being known now. And it's basically, it was originally called The Study and a guide to self-discovery, self-mastery and self-care. So volume one is about self-discovery. Who am I? Why am I here? And so all the maps of the self and of our willpower. And volume two is about self-care. So in volume one, I do the self, a lot of the self-mastery which carries into volume two. Of course, we can't master ourselves if we're not taking care of ourselves. And so the foundations of that is self-awareness, self-love, self-respect, and self-responsibility. Those are the cornerstones of being healthy and well in our life. So I give the maps of the unconscious. I talk about mediumship. I talk about the spiritual path. Or, and so people who are interested, these are guidebooks. Okay, they are intended as guidebooks. I welcome anybody who... Uh, wants to read them, enjoy them. Uh, you can get them, as I said, through the publisher off my website through Amazon. And um, other than that, um, LinkedIn, your people are welcome to connect with me through LinkedIn. Our church is separate. That's Santo Daime, S-A-N-T-O-D-A-I-M-E dot C-A. Um, if you're interested in the church, you have to go to the, that website. It's very clear on my website that people interested in Soto Montreal and Santo Daime need to follow the link to, there's a link there to our church. I don't do the visitor screening. Or no, 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 I don't do any of that. We have a team who does that. So no, you can't reach our church faster by trying to go through me. That's just not how it works. So again, uh, it's an eclectic, the Santo Daime is an eclectic path. And uh, for those who feel called, this is not a personal growth retreat. This is for a spiritual tradition. We sing, we pray, we meditate. We're quite shocked at quite often we get people who come into a ritual and think that they can do what they want. They go in the heal, what we call the healing area. And they start doing yoga and they start wanting to talk to people and they start wanting to touch people. And it's like, mm, 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 mm. would they go into anybody else's church or synagogue or temple? 
and start doing things like that. No, they wouldn't. And yet they think because it's ayahuasca that they can do their own thing. We've had people tell our guardians, the people who are responsible for the people in the healing area, we've had them say, you're interrupting my process. Your process? You're in a spiritual work here. <laughs> we're singing, we're meditating, we're praying. This is not some burning man thing, some mm -hmm. retreat where everybody just does what they want, you know? So that there is, are pl plenty of places for that. So Yeah, go do that somewhere else. That's not us. That's not us. You want to be serious? You want to make your encounter with the divine light? You want to do that through, we don't ask anyone to say the prayers or sing. And we make that very clear that you, you just need to follow what's called the rules of the Salau. And so the rules of the Salau are very clear to stay silent, don't touch people, follow the, the chain of command. If you're invited to, to do something, like if somebody looks a little woozy, you're going to ask them to go to the healing area. If you need help, ask for it. It's very simple stuff. You know, to respect it. Well, it's been wonderful visiting with you today. Thank you so much for inviting me. I hope that this information is helpful um, to help people understand more about um, these sacred paths and how deeply embedded in human history they are and the distinction between sacred plants and this modern use of psychedelics, which we believe, and I believe certainly has a place in science and research and certainly medicine and, and, and hopefully could prove to be helpful for uh, different conditions and different uh, situations. Right. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Jessica, for joining us. You're a, you're a beautiful person inside and out. And I thank you for sharing your time, your wisdom, and your faith journey with us here today. And, uh, you know, we live in an interesting time. I, th I think people, um, regardless of what path they choose, I think people are searching. I think, I think people are feeling the emptiness that modern society has kind of just left us with. And I think they're searching for deeper, more potent ways of interacting with the spirit. And um, I thank you for sharing with us the uh, the path of Santo Diame today. And um, I'm sure my listeners will be eager to hear about this. So, and maybe we'll have to do it again sometime. So, thank you so much. I thank wish you. you a wonderful rest of your day. Same here. Hang on for just a second. We'll debrief and we'll let the listeners go. And um, and I appreciate you joining us again. God bless. Well, I hope you found my conversation with Dr. Rochester as fascinating as I did. Again, I would like to thank her for joining us today. And if you would like to connect with Dr. Jessica and learn more about her work, you can find those links in the show notes for this episode. As I promised recently, at the end of each episode, I would like to share with all of you some of the other podcasts that I enjoy. Today's recommendation is the Conversation Cannabis and Christianity podcast with host Miguel Torres. I recently interviewed Miguel, and I will introduce you to him in an upcoming episode of this podcast. I have also had the honor of joining him for a conversation on his show, and I'll drop a link to that episode here in the show notes. Check out his podcast. If you like my podcast, you will probably enjoy his as well. With that, my friends, I wish you grace and peace, and until we meet again, here at the intersection of Christian faith and psychedelics, 
May the Lord bless you and keep you. 